Welcome to Urgy, the podcast, with Canadian dramaturgs Vicky Stroich and me, Jacob Zimmer, plus sometimes a special guest. Four years after our last episode, we catch up on some Hello. of the things that have happened since. Hello. Unsurprisingly, that starts with football and drag shows. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing fairly well. My football team won this morning, which has a disproportionate effect on my mood. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. I did put in a lot of hard work. (laughs) 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 Made made a lot of choices that led to that uh, outcome. Uh, They know. They they feel it. They feel your energy all the way from the Yukon, I'm sure. Yeah, all the way into their empty stadium. Yes. As, As always, I can justify my football love as tied a little bit in it's so interesting to watch them deal with covid okay in what way they have unlimited money you're watching this thing that has real stakes to happen in terms of there's money involved from the nfl in tv deals and all of that Mm -hmm. but also they can do whatever it is that if you want to keep a group of 150 people in a bubble how does the rest of the world have to behave? And how mm-hmm. do you do that? And then two of those bubbles are going to collide once a week. Literally. Yeah. Um, and they're still flying. It's not like other, it's not, they can't bubble all in one place. Like basketball. Mm-hmm. Right. Or hockey, which did yeah. single location stuff. Yeah. Uh, I still find it amazing that the Western Conference of the NHL was, like, bubbled in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. But it it made doing it in Canada makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Certainly compared to the States. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, watching sports do it, especially even, or I'm a fan, and so any justification I do professionally is a little false. But it is fascinating to watch people who have the same basic job description of like gather groups of people together and have them have an experience of a live um, event of a live event and Mm -hmm. and where sports has been largely a televised live event financially yeah Uh, but also we're seeing where the fact that it's a show for 80,000 people that's currently being done for none on every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right? It's being done mm-hmm. in an empty theater. And so it's changing the game also. Right. There's no crowd noise. Momentum is a much more internal to the team thing. There's no crowd right. to help you with that. Yeah. So I think defenses in the fourth quarter at home are like less good than they would be normally. Because they right. don't have the crowd just cheering them on and right. disrupting the offense's ability to talk to each other. And so there's this thing now, of, oh, everyone can hear each other on the field. And that's not, the game has been basically designed for the past 20 years with a basis of it's very hard to hear for right. the I not home team. About that. Um, and now suddenly everyone can hear, which means you can hear what other people are saying to each other. Or So it's there's all these weird outcomes of a football game without 60,000 screaming people. 
Are they still doing, are they still pretending on certain things? Do they still have like cheerleaders and spots and things like that? There's a mascot. But he's okay. just there for the TV to have something to cut to. So he he sits in the stands with a sunbathing thing and was just the Bears mascot was like, here, I'm going to do a little bit where I'm just suntanning because it's a beautiful day. But the bit is I'm a mascot in a empty stadium. <laughs> right. Whatever. Barry the McBarrison. What, I, I, he's got a name. I forget it. <laughs> um, but the Chicago Bears mascot. I don't know that the Bears did cheerleaders. But no, they're not. I haven't seen them cut to them. Okay. Dallas had some fans this this week. And it makes a noticeable difference, even if there's 20,000 people in an 80,000 stadium. And I think it's largely families and, like, team member. Like, it's a team you can give out X number of tickets. And they're all, they're all trying to figure out how to do. If we let people back in, what does that look like? And so now I think you can buy your pod, or I don't know if game or if tickets were actually for sale, but you could be a season ticket holder of a pod of families, and, and maybe you could get your 10 seats. It looked like they were basically family units sitting together with huge amounts of empty space in this giant stadium. And that, yeah. I went to a drive-in drag show on oh, Friday. Wow. Nice. Yeah. How did that go? It was interesting. It was interesting. It was like, it went fine. The, you could still clap and cheer because you were even, we had to even park six feet away from each other and everyone had to stay in their vehicles. It wasn't about clapping. It was about honking. Right. And there was even like how crowds like they like, or how performers will hold their ear to the crowd or get people clapping or something. There's a whole nother hand signal, which is like tap on the horn to get people to to right. applaud to do a thing yeah so did lights get used as a i feel like car lights you could also do something it would be a little abusive perhaps <laughs> totally they didn't they actually didn't want anyone's lights on uh-huh. so even if to have your radio on because you could tune into the radio station to hear it like they had amps and stuff like yep. that but you yeah they actually wanted no headlights on so they would come around with garbage bags and tape up your headlights for you Ooh to make sure you didn't have lights. So lights were not a part of it. The honking was, and some people like in flatbed, like in like pickup trucks and stuff like that came and parked and oriented so they could sit in the back of their truck. And so it was, it was fun, but a bit strange. And the, the Queens did come out into the audience, the parking lot. And, and one of them climbed all the way up on the roof of a car Mm. And did some posing on the roof of yeah. someone's car, which I'm sure was strong a huge choice. deal. Yeah, very strong choice. Uh, drove perhaps the- drive. There's probably a few people, but also there's a few production people probably going at the bump. What, what oh. COVID plan? Yeah, and there was <laughs> a lot of mentioned the climbing on vehicles. Totally, and the, but there was a huge honk response to that. Sure, there was yeah. a huge honk response to that because that was wild. So it was that kind of thing. It was like that was the sort of wild thing you could do as a performer was climb on someone's vehicle and pose um, right. on on a car of someone you'd never met. And they went around and did trivia to the car windows and stuff like that. And, and so it was just and it was just wild to see this drag queen, Brooklyn Heights, who was one of the Canadians who's actually on the American version of it, who hosted Canada's Drag Race because it was a Canada's Drag Race right. uh, drag drive in show this like beautiful creature 
in these like in this beautiful green dress and these gorgeous green heels crawl over this sort of brush to get to the, to get over to another part of the parking lot to do trivia. It was just like, and she did a beautiful job. She really just navigated that very well, but, but it was just wild. It was just wild. So it was interesting to see that performance experience for sure. And I'm like, I'm glad I went, but it was just wild. Cause you, the minute you got out of your car, the ushers slash security guards were like, you need to be in your car. You need to be in your car because you couldn't leave your vehicle right. unless you had your mask on and you were going mm-hmm. to the washroom or back again. And they even drove around a little golf cart with merch to each car so you could buy a T-shirt if you wanted to. Yeah. So that was interesting as well. It was like, okay, great. Uh, thank you so much for coming by, but I think we won't today. And the other thing of tipping drag queens is a huge part of the <laughs> right. drag culture and of course, you you were not doing that. So you could right. Venmo them uh-huh. from your phone in your vehicle. You could Venmo them. Right. That feels the next stage where I want a live. Like I want the number, the amount of money coming in to that mm-hmm. person's account. Like I want an app for the show where while the person's on stage, I can just give them money, and that yeah. lights up behind that in some way has a similar effect of me tossing my money. Or I, maybe you don't toss or it. Hold it. You just or you hold like it out, hold it out for them to grab. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever that, like, how do you do that mm-hmm. where that is part of the shared experience? That's not a private, oh, here's my donation. It's like, oh, no, this is, in fact, part of what we compete with. Yeah. Like this car lights up because there's a fiver over here right. or a tanner or, uh-huh. whoa. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, we'll see how that goes. And I, I and all the technology, I just thought I was like, oh, that technology exists because it's for cam operators in porn, like all of that. Like, how do I know who's giving money at what moment? Like, anyways, uh, as, as usual, technology in front of technological progress. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some sectors got to do it. It's true. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to watch various things deal with this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah. So see, the, but I think I was going to say is that the 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 first live thing that I've seen, and it probably is hmm. actually. I yeah, that's probably the first live thing I've seen since February. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's and it's so different up here. I've seen, I haven't seen any live things. I haven't seen any not live things inside, Mm -hmm. I think. But there's been a fair amount of outside stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's been, I mean, the reality up here is one, we have more outside with less people. And so Mm -hmm. we can have, we can do those things a little easier. But I haven't seen anything that had production money behind without it, everything has operated outside of the sort of old economies. There have been yeah. less attempts to re reenact the old economy. Mm-hmm. Um, the farmer's market, which is in some ways a performance, but like that. And that was just how do we do a farmer's market in COVID? But like busking became available fairly quickly, but like planned performances weren't. 
and I think in the scene there was a lot of like crankiness about that and it's like oh no that makes total sense you're just not allowed to attract a crowd like buskers yeah. don't a, one busker with their guitar is not going to attract a crowd that's a passerby economy mm-hmm. it's not a crowd economy yeah so it's interesting to watch those sorts of things come out of okay if nobody knows you're going to do it it's fine yeah. <laughs> which is basically what Nikai did is we just didn't we were like, oh, these aren't performances. They're just happenings. And we're not going to stand still for very long. And when we do, we're going to have clear stuff. But it's all going to be outside. And Yeah. And, yeah. again, we have that. Yeah. That particular I'll... bit of privilege. I guess I did see some one live thing in April. Hmm. There have been little, there have been little, there have been things happening in Calgary Mm -hmm. outside. I just haven't had a chance to go to them. But one early on, like April, at some point, I was taking a walk in my neighborhood because I've, I took up like a daily walk every day. And, and I was up on, I'd gone up a hill and I was coming down a hill. And on the wind, I heard an acoustic version of George Michael's Faith. Mm-hmm. just drifting somewhere and I, I went that's live that's live no one's blaring that from their stereo where is it coming from and so I walked towards George Michael's faith and discovered a young like guy with a with a guitar and someone had put up some amps on a sort of uh, traffic circle in one of the sort of nice neighborhoods nearby and they were clearly like it had been run to somebody's house with the electricity and the neighbors were all standing around and it was this it was this young singer songwriter i think his name is Aaron Pollock i found out afterwards and uh, he played a couple covers and he played some of his own songs and he grew up on that street so his parents were like his parents and his na- and the neighbors were like oh what if Aaron played a few songs so I, I did happen upon this thing, which felt at the time really um, like this strange little oasis. And everyone was being very respectful and staying across from each other. Police on bikes came by a couple times and just rode through. And it was just very, like, very peaceful. But that was, that felt, um, at the time, it felt so, I think I stood there and cried for a little bit because I just was like, it's so nice. The people out, and there's a guy, and he's singing. And that was, it was one of those, those like, thaw moments for me in this sort of frozen lockup that is this experience in time, especially early on. It was like, it just felt, I don't know if, if anything, like, if, if when I'll ever hear live music again or just having people who normally wouldn't be outside in their houses, of their houses, just sitting there. Like, it just was so, it just was such a relief and such a warm sort of feeling when I had been, like, bolstered for the worst or bolstered. It was just, yeah, it was really lovely. So I just remember standing there, like, weeping a little bit and then turning and going. Oh, live things. Aren't you, don't you have a magic? And also, don't, like, there's a magic of running into them. Yes. Which we yeah. don't, which, you know, is a COVID magic that yes. is certainly discounted in the professional world, right? Of arts. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, you bought a ticket, you're not, you don't run into 
production of The Drawer Boy. True. Of all I've Canadian plays, it does feel like the one you are most likely to just accidentally run into a production of. I, or I don't well, know. Well, if maybe that's not true. Well, Mary's that's... Wedding. You sometimes you could fall in, you could right. fall into a Mary's Wedding production as well. Sure, Tony and Tina's for the olden day callbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the accidental, it became a thing for us up here of what is, how do I talk about the, like the values of 10 minutes of joy in a summer without many joys? And especially how do I talk about 10 minutes of surprising joy, like a surprise that is joyful mm-hmm. in a day and the value of that in some ways does feel easier to talk about now people rec- can recognize that in a storytelling mode where mm-hmm. it, it feels eight months ago to make that argument as the sort of basis for art would be like no it's industry and there's still lots of people making those claims but that 10 minutes of surprising joy feels so much more like to me a thing that was exciting to give and in some ways felt more powerful than oh this is coming you're coming to this like that those and that through the pandemic that's lots of what we're seeing is it's actually there's something about this surprise and that delight and Mm -hmm. that's interesting and compelling to me beyond even once we're allowed to gather again it might be useful for us art makers to remember that we like that something about surprising delight is very important to mm-hmm. what we might offer. Yeah. And, yeah. We had, I, I absolutely agree that we had forgotten the value of that. And it's very hard to make a thing out of that. It's very hard to organize explanations of finances in a, in especially in the world we live in or have lived in for the past mm-hmm. while of a sort of everything has an economic reason and it's all driving towards being on a Netflix series like all theater is just aspiring to get everybody hired onto Netflix or no that's mean more less more positive less mean i was listening anyways that theater might be able to do this this brief joy rather than just be a sort of industry because there's no industry in brief joy i don't think other than drugs as, as i said that i was like oh no wait cocaine <laughs> uh, there's a huge industry of brief joy just not a positive one there you go yeah I, I also feel like the sense of place too. I feel especially as we are have to stay in our places, <laughs> both our like our homes as well as in the sort of proximity around our cities, like in, in cities or towns or neighborhoods. Even increase like increasingly here, it's I, I do feel like the ability to see and appreciate what is here feels really valuable. And I wonder about our ability to remember and appreciate the place. Will we be able to remember and appreciate the places that we are Mm -hmm. when we're able to get out of them again? And the value of seeing your neighborhood in a new way, which is something that I've really appreciated this year 
and it's it's also been extremely difficult to not be able to be like not go to the ocean like at all for me but I've been to the mountains quite a bit and I go for these walks around my neighborhood and I see different things and appreciate it on a different level and and I appreciate the people around me on a different level as well and so that that ability to refocus my eyes on the place that I am and the people around me and what I love about it is also surprising and delighting in a lot of ways that I wouldn't have expected. And I wonder too about how much more you're, this is a huge part of what I think you're thinking about it at Nakai with the landscape residency and things like that. It's like place and this sort of the beauty of place and the storytelling potential of place. I hope that we are able to bring more things outside and like really glory in the place that we are. And I was even thinking, like I was reading something the other day about the discussion about whether or not some of the bars and uh, restaurants in Calgary will try to keep their patios open into the winter. Mm-hmm. Because it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have, yeah, just put on a couple of extra layers. If it's yeah, minus 30, maybe not. And I know that this isn't necessarily something for the Yukon at all times, but like for a lot of time, Calgary is relatively mild for quite a while and with a couple of heaters and the right clothing and perhaps a renaissance in uh, warm, hot cocktails, bring back the blueberry tea. Yeah, really. The ciders, uh, all the the hot toddies, the spiked hot chocolates of the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello. Irish um, coffees. There you go. Like those might be making a comeback. And there are parts of the world that have a much more comfortable relationship to. I think somebody I was talking to somebody I know who is a colleague of mine now in my work in the environmental sector. And, and they were just saying, I think in Canada, we like to talk a sort of a tough game about how, how hearty we are in the winter and how we really brace the winter and, but we don't have much of a sort of cultural context or sense of social life out at a relationship to the winter outdoors, mm-hmm. like other parts of the world do. Other parts of the world have winter markets outside. Other parts of the world have a sort of relationship to the outdoors and winter that is actually much more like robust and part of their culture than we do, or certainly we may, maybe we did at one point, but it makes me think about that too. And I I remember saying to my father recently, because he was talking about how there won't be anything to do soon. And I was like, I intend to enjoy every season, dad. I intend to enjoy every season. I even bought snowshoes. Nice. Oh, yeah, we should. On one of the hottest days (laughs) in Calgary in the summer, I went to an outdoor store and I got myself a nice pair of clearance snowshoes because I'm going to be ready to enjoy winter. With a hot, I I need to do that. I feel like I I have I bought snow pants at the end of last winter, which made a big difference because yes, minus forty. Yeah, but it's true the the need to figure out how to enjoy it and also the the outdoor thing and whether up here I see pictures of the sort of festivals of the 70s and 80s 
and there's like cars parked on the Yukon River, which at this point doesn't freeze over, let alone yeah. become insurable. And <laughs> and there's a lot more outsideness. And for the Rendezvous Festival, which is a February and historically was like all the trappers come in. And also everybody who has been totally stuck in and isolated in the winter gets together. And so it's half trading opportunity and also big piss up and festivalness. And looking back at it, a lot of the things, everybody talks about all the outdoor things. And then as they design for the festival, they go, oh, nobody likes outdoors things because it's too cold. We should move them inside. Like there's this disconnect between the all my memories are attached to this one way of being, but it seems a little inconvenient as I plan it. So I'll do this other thing. And it's like this misunderstanding of, no, yes, you're right. It's terrible. And one year, if it snows, you're right. You're totally screwed. If you have the wrong kind of cold weather, you are running a bigger risk to be outdoors, right? You are, it's just, there are more unknowns. But also, that's what people liked about it, right? And people will say, oh, I don't like the cold. It's so cold. And they'll say that on their survey, even. And But it's not true. Like, they wouldn't have come out unless it was a fight against the cold. Or, I'm going to see my friends, and we're all going to be doing this ridiculous thing in February in the Yukon. And that's, and that's clearly like part of its joy as an event. And then when it's moved inside, they're like, yeah, it doesn't quite have the same vibe and we don't really know why. And it's like, I'm going to, I'll take a, I'll take a swing. Yeah. Um, that and all the insurance stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of old time Yukoners who complain about why are events no fun anymore? It's like insurance. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. none of those things you ever did had insurance. <laughs> And uh, we're not allowed to get away with that anymore. That's why there's different kinds of fun. Mm. So I might do a cut and paste in this. But yeah, I, I was do feel say, like we should. It's like we've just started we should, recording. We just, we just, we just started recording in, an episode without thinking about it. Which is great. But also maybe we should have a moment of acknowledging the world and this thing of doing a podcast it was october of 2016 i saw that that blows my mind a lot of things have happened partial list so trump it's oh my god november anyways this thing is coming that we don't know is coming Mm -hmm. i left banff which hasn't happened yet in that moment you leave atp yeah, and I think that's like the first event after <laughs> I left Toronto. You start working with the environmental sector. Mm-hmm. I moved to Whitehorse. You come up and we work on When We Dance and also board development. Mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah, that happened. That is even happening. And then I feel like I'll- also in the arts, like public reckoning of long-running violence and injustice in both society and in arts, which, of course, are part of society. Yeah, it's been uh, four years. It's been four years, so things happen. But Mm -hmm. uh, It's been a while. It's been a while. And it was also interesting to go back and listen to these conversations about 
I was probably just getting on my horse about like plans. Uh, plans are stupid. Planning is important, but plans are stupid. And COVID is just this like moment of that. Yeah. yeah. And also yeah. of my fatalism. So I'm trying to get to the end of sentences and be a little less. I think I'm a little less depressed than I was last time. <laughs> but also the weird parts of being a fatalist when something terrible happens, which is mm. being like, all right, we're on. Mm -hmm. like, finally, the work can happen. Right. Um, yeah. Like the status quo is not going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to notice in myself and like COVID's awful. And if I were in a city, I think this would be very different for me mm. um, in 8 million different ways, depending right. on the city probably. But yeah, it's a, yeah, I'm less depressed. We'll see if that gets me to the end of sentences more often. No. Or just those <laughs> long pauses. What little feedback we got would always be like, we don't know if the pod player stopped or if Jacob just cut himself off mid-sentence for 30 seconds. <laughs> so, yeah, fair. So, and I grew so used to it that I didn't, and when someone gave me that feedback, I went, oh, does he? And then I listened and I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. Okay. So I'm, we're thinking about, I'm thinking about editing and also my little note about don't abandon all craft up and out, finish sentences. It's okay. Although I do, I think I'm in a better head place than I was last time. Good. I did this, which is four years. Good. Yeah. Good. I've... And feel also more able to talk about theater. Yes. And wonder if you and... are also more able to talk about theater. I am probably in a better headspace too, given that 2017, like part of the reason why we stopped recording was because I felt like my job didn't allow me to, I felt like I would, couldn't talk about anything or else a floodgate would open. And then the other thing that has happened and has happened since is that I discovered that it turns out I was burning out. <laughs> I burnt out really badly and had to take some time and then decided to, yeah, decided to move away from my job, but also move into a different, into a different position in a different sector and that, uh, so I, I do feel more able to speak about theater and I do feel more able to speak about a little bit more able to speak about the arts and culture sector and a little bit more able to speak about the rest of the world, because it, it turns out I wasn't thinking too, I was thinking a bit about the rest of the world, but not really. I was really obsessed with thinking about the thing that was in front of me, which was my job. And yeah, so I have yeah, I'm in a better headspace as well, and and a little more, uh, a little more open mm -hmm. to the sort of larger picture than I think I was. Yeah, that's where I'm at. In the things that happen in four years. <laughs> in the things that happen in four years, those are some of them. Those are some uh, of them, yeah. Yeah, and Alberta, you know, even Alberta, even the place that I live is 2016. 2016, there was a different government. Yeah, but we were and just now, talking about there had been economic down, like the 
the uh, numbers had crunched, so that was mm-hmm. present, but it was a different government dealing with that problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, so that's another thing that, in a weird way, impacts my new work more than it impacted my old work. Anyway, right. yeah, so those are the things. How do we want to approach this, <laughs> what, what, re- and, this reunion episode, this given reunion that we've just a bunch of j- just just uh, recorded a range of um, and perspectives maybe we'll on put those here or not? I feel like we just we did a bit of what's it like seeing live things? How are mm-hmm. other sectors relating? And if we, yeah, I think finding topics. I think the still the desire around urgy and the dramaturgical frame on whatever questions we're looking at Uh i've become really interested and one of the reasons i approached around restarting other than it was an early covid idea it's all the digitals need to reboot and this is how long it's taken me to actually be like hey vicky which was one that we had this opportunity where suddenly maybe the con the time to sit at our desks in front of a computer with a microphone was more common than it used to be in Mm -hmm. our lives and also wanting some discussions about craft again and traditions a little bit and in this mix of how the craft and traditions of an artist's or a person's history affect how they show up in their work Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's a thing we don't talk about all that much especially in Canadian theater where there's not a lot. Where did you learn that from? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then where, who taught you that? Like who taught Mm -hmm. you that rule (laughs) and who taught them that rule both for good and bad. Right. I I Mm -hmm. say rules. They're negatives. How do we also honor the traditions we come from? Mm -hmm. And a lot of, and a lot of a bit of it being in this moment around the reckoning around the, the way that white supremacy has shown up in the arts mm-hmm. is that we don't talk about where ideas come from. They're just mm-hmm. universal. They're just the way things are. So mm-hmm. no, that's probably, it's probably Northern Europe. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and maybe even UK 1700s ish. Like we, we can identify some of our histories. Yeah. And that I was curious about those conversations and having some of those because it, felt like they were uncommon in in the arts sector. Mm-hmm. And that was it, that desire to have some conversations. I was thinking about whether there's some weird randomization way that we could random questions to answer. Only because the only, like, I, and also listening to the last one, hearing this, me stressing out about my, the amount of my practice that is improvisatory and is based on structures that I almost intentionally am setting up without being able to prepare for. So Mm. I think I decided, oh, random is one of, and I think in the four years I've probably gotten to own that idea a little bit more than I did in the last episode. And randomization is one of the ways that I do that, right? Here's a list of 20 questions that we may or may not talk about. Take a look at them. We're going to roll dice to figure out which on the day of. And we'll have weird timelines. It's just making mm-hmm. something formal in order to do something a little more structured than as much as I also enjoy, like the just get on the horn with Vicky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's harder to do in a sort of 
interview or if we're inviting in that's part of the other question is are we inviting other people mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. because it did feel last time you couldn't speak because of your position i think i felt so precarious that mm-hmm. precarious depressed and angry and that meant that i can hear myself stopping thoughts halfway and not quite being able to think or talk about them and now i'm slightly less precarious being both inside and outside and maybe we're both in that position oh it's a little less like all the shit's gonna bottom out in a moment and we have a little distance and that like i the weirdness of being in a at nakai in the the yukon is it did work in one of the goals that I hear myself have in those old ones and, and now have, which is like, how do we have a different model of success than downtown Toronto felt like I, there were models of success. All the models of success weren't actually interesting. Like I looked at what success looked like and that didn't give me energy either. And so that was part of me leaving that scene Mm -hmm. and here after three years and, and you saw me at year one and it was less, I was still, fairly like more actively depressed but yeah and now suddenly like outdoor theaters and surprising delight and digital games for small groups of people suddenly all make a lot more sense like i'm getting a lot more response to those ideas than i was mere months ago people were like why why don't you do something for the cruise ships and we have two years in which we don't have to talk about cruise ships, probably. Yeah. Like it's gonna it's gonna take a while for that to come back. Figure out what how it comes mm-hmm. what it looks like when it comes back. If it comes right. back. So yeah, so I don't it I still don't think there's enough day to day activity in the Canadian arts that we need just talking about the news every week feels like an interesting thing. Having a guest feels potentially very fun. I have some anxiety about my coordination capacities for that, or that guests equal more coordination. Yeah. But maybe not that. So we could make a list of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. people. We could also ask our listeners who theoretically, anyways, we could ask our listeners uh, to suggest people. Mm -hmm. We would hear from people every once in a while about listening, and it was always a surprise because we only heard from them remotely from their listening activity. So if any of you are listening, and yeah, let us know. It would be nice. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's nice to know, in part, so that if there's things that you would like to hear Vicky and I talk about, you probably know us. I'm going to go out it's on like, a limb and say likely. it's likely that you know who we are and so if you have either someone you would like us to talk to or uh, a thing you would like us to talk about yeah email we'll, we'll do that part better too the podcasting world is also now this feels oh it's great i can just anonymously re- release this into a big pool of world there's so much of it yeah there's a lot of podcast content right now yeah, absolutely. It's a little stupid that we're not getting a digital strategy fund for this, but that's okay. There's... Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I think back to the 16 or around there and like really getting notes on grants applications. We're not sure about podcasting. 
Mm-hmm. This isn't a form. Like, why would theater be involved in this? And that in four years, a lot of attitudes have changed about that. Absolutely. It's another, I'd put, add that to the list. Another thing that's changed another since 2016. Change, yeah. Everybody has a podcast, which I think was also <laughs> why it became a little harder to record for me or in a way that doesn't seem useful anymore. Mm. Which I've, or I'm a little less hung up on. Of, mm. like, is this a big thing or is this just um, a thing we like doing and having interesting conversations that we would like to have, which yeah. is always the sort of return to the, what am I missing? And some of that is talking about Canadian theater or theater in Canada in relation to the world and in relation to history, which I don't think happens. Like I'm missing that conversation from mm-hmm. people who both like it as evidenced by <laughs> staying involved in it for a long time, but also who have critique of it. Yeah, absolutely. And when for me, it's the conversation about Canadian theatre and its relationship to the rest of what is happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's also, I feel like that has also shifted and changed as well, even as I see so much more interaction with, not only with social justice, but also like in the increasing interaction between the Canada Council and and PACT and individual companies thinking about climate change and environmental footprint and sustainability and those kind of things, which I remember when those ideas started to come up years ago, it was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. We should think about that. And it never really it didn't go where it probably could have or should have at the time. And now there's an, there's an increasing urgency there. And so there's an increasing urgency in society. And of course, as now reflected in Canadian theater and arts and culture. So I'm also really curious about, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious about that as well. Yeah. And how we live our values in this, in a moment where we have some chance to change behavior. Uh There is a moment where all of the festivals and all of that sort of fly in, fly out, which is you know a word I use much more up here and it's how the mining industry is done. It's the fly mm-hmm. in, fly out culture and consultants fly in, fly out. But arts was fly in, fly out. And how do we adjust that while also staying open to exchange and meeting new people and the importance of having visitors here and the importance of getting out of town every once in a while? Yeah. So yeah, those and how do we live our values? I think there's been a moment in the field where there's an acknowledgement that we haven't been living our values. That on a lot of levels, the the line we so the line we sell and the things we were doing were not so aligned. And we have a pause right now. Mm-hmm. And Maybe when we come back, do we? How different can we come back? And what what do we mean by back? Okay, and this is also one of these things where I'm not at all worried about the activity of theater, which is people get together and one of them talks a little more. Like starting from that tradition, we'll be fine, right? There will always mm-hmm. be somebody with an acoustic guitar, and that those traditions are are stable and great. What these buildings look like, what and then, and that's one level of questions. And then what is the art response? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Is it just, can I get back into that building? And yeah. the not very much money it used to provide me. And so what can change in the way we make art and the way we share it on what systemic level is a thing that also has to happen around how we deal with the climate. It's all the entanglement of everything is more obvious and more present in our lives than ever to me. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Those connections that were under the surface previously have now surfaced. I feel like things have been revealed and we can't unsee them now. And the longer that they are surfaced like this, I don't want, I do not want this pandemic to go on any longer. Let me just say that. Yeah. But I do feel like the longer we are in this state or navigating this state, the more we will, the more it'll become clear that we need to, or we have the, like that we actually capitalize on the opportunity to make a, to make change. Yeah, because if it goes very if it goes very quickly, we do have the potential to just go back to what was happening pretty quickly. But if we have to actually enact something different and really think about what we want to, who we want to be, and what we want to, how we want that to appear in our actions we need to have some time to to sit with it and we need to recognize the need for it further because it's i i think it's i don't think this i don't think the little eruptions that this that this has shown or the sort of eruptions at surface things i think there's probably more to be there's probably other things that we can't think of right now that in the next probably 6 8 months maybe the next year we will discover or the things that have started to surface will become more, even more present. And that is, this is a huge moment of resetting the status quo on all sorts of levels. And, and I'm really curious about how we respond and what support there is to respond. Mm-hmm. Because the longer this, the longer we have, the more, I hope the more interesting the responses are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, saying I, that without wanting it to go on any longer. Right. Yes, of course. Okay. By no means am I wishing it longer. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky thing, and I wonder if there's someone from the environmental sector, but one of the who could help us with this problem as a guest or think through, because there's a problem of there's going to be less jobs. And we don't have any agreement on what that number is or like it ranges, but there's going to be a huge reduction, a significant reduction in jobs in the field. Mm -hmm. And how do we talk about change and whatever comes next? Acknowledging that people are going to lose work. Like, I think a lot of the rush back is a rush to save jobs. Mm-hmm. And so if you need to save your front of house manager, you need to have a front of house. Mm-hmm. And you need to have a front of house that is big enough that it requires its own manager. And so how... So then that the desire to keep jobs, which is very understanding on a human level, mm-hmm. 
gets in the way of change because we can't imagine what that next job is. And the same person who was a really good box office front of house manager may not be the person for whatever this new world is. Mm-hmm. And I know, obviously, the environmental sector gets a lot of, but what about the jobs yep. Yep. <laughs> thrown at it as a frequent fight against change? And so maybe there's a, that, that's a conversation that, because I don't know how to unpack that with lots of my friends having those jobs and me having, I mm-hmm. have a job in the arts and that what that looks like in the Yukon is really different from what it looks like in Toronto if we were if it was the same sized org but mm-hmm. yeah but that so we are probably not losing jobs but i think the sector will mm-hmm. and there or cha- technicians moving from theater into more and more into screen and in, into xr or whatever right like more brain drain more and that's bad on lots of ends <laughs> Mm-hmm. but also necess- maybe necessary and how as we go forward how do you balance and how do you grapple with that problem is a real question for me yeah the term that we use a lot or that are used that's used a lot in the environmental sector is the concept of just transition mm-hmm. and just transition is acknowledging acknowledging that the shift away from a fossil fuel based economy uh, will inevitably mean that people lose jobs and so how do you consider the process of change and how do you consider the training or retraining or or finding meaningful uh, stable work for those people given that you're advocating for an entire sector to change and, and so just transition is the way that's often talked about. So there may be, yeah, like I can certainly look into people who think about that a lot from the environmental perspective and talk about just transition a lot. And I, I'm wondering about in the arts what that means exactly. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to think about because the sort of easy answer around just transition easy it's not easy there's no easy answer there is no easy answer that's the thing about just transition but the thing that people often say is well the engineers and things like that retraining in 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 or any of the workers retraining in renewable energy for renewable energy jobs there'll still be energy jobs we're still going to need energy that's we will definitely still need energy as we transition away from fossil fuels and that's the thing too is it will be a transition we have set our like the depth of the depth of how much we use fossil fuels is so deep and that even as it will be a transition and it will take a while and as we do that how do we think about what the new world looks like and help people find their place mm-hmm. in it and you talking about technicians re re really reorienting their skills is something that's a really that is a really interesting way to think about how some part some members of the sort of theater of the theater community may find themselves moving into different mm-hmm. different work or able to include that work as part of their uh, toolbox like yeah. their toolkit of things that they can offer 
through to a range of different mediums. And I am curious about too, yeah, like arts administrators and event like people who create events and stuff like that, and even for that matter, dramaturgs. Yeah. So I, I do feel like there's there are so many different applications for how our minds work and what we offer that are of great value. I just don't know if we have taken the time to consider them or if we've taken the time to step out and test ourselves outside of that system. And I only say that as somebody who is currently I still do. I still do dramaturgy. I still I run. Still run a playwrights retreat <laughs> in my spare time. I still do all that sort of stuff. I still do that professionally, but I've taken what to me seem like very simple ideas about hosting, like just not like things that I that just have become second nature to me about hosting, about asking questions, about story about bringing people together, like having, having people able to focus around some topic or some question or something and then discuss it and, and hear each other's thoughts about it, like collaboration, and applied it to my work at, at my new job at Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. And I remember when I applied for that job, when I applied for the job, it all looked like things that I did in my previous work. But I honestly thought, I don't know if, I don't know if I can translate it. I don't know if I can apply it or if they'll understand how I might apply it. Uh, and there were, all, I had all these sort of concerns or questions about, can I sector swap? Can I take what I have and apply it elsewhere to something? And, uh, and it, it turns out that there was a great deal of curiosity and interest in having it applied and, and that there are ways to translate it and all these sort of things that I, but I was deeply concerned about it because I thought, and this is another aspect of, I think, what we think, this is another sort of system within, of how we work in the theater, which is I work in the theater. Yeah. That is what I do. That is who I am. And I thought that, like I set set myself up to think that I was going to do, I was headed towards one of several jobs and I needed to acquire all of these, these skills and acquire all these experiences and that I needed to be able to put those things on my resume. And that would lead me to the next thing, the next step up in the ladder and then I got to a high rung on the ladder and, and almost fell off the ladder because, it, because I, I was doing, I thought I did quite well at it, except that it was a, near, it was a nearly impossible system to, to manage. Right. And so it was like, okay, I don't know if I want to stay in this system, so I should go try to find another, but maybe, this, maybe another system will reject me. And it it turns out that may not be the case. And I think that we, we're, we've dedicated so much to it that it's hard to imagine the, uh, hard to imagine or even think about the other things we care about. Mm. 
maybe I'm just speaking for myself and in which case I will. And if it resonates for people, then great. I, it's interesting. I cared about the environment for a long time, but until I started working in the environmental sector, I didn't know that a bunch of the people that I saw on a regular basis in the theater also cared a great right. deal about the mm-hmm. environment because we didn't talk about that at opening night. Mm-hmm. We talked about the theater. We talked about the theater business. We talked about what we were doing next and, and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't know that there were as many people around me who also cared about the environment as much as I did until later. Occasionally I would find out about someone or something, or I'd see something somebody was working on, but it was very interesting to me that I had my blinders on to such a degree that I was so focused, like just running ahead and just, and just everyone else around me felt like they were running ahead on the same track. And, and it's been very interesting to run onto a different track and and run into a different field and, and just to see the world around me and see the, the complexity of all the people around me and how much more of the world could be, and this, the sort of the causes that we all care about could be enhanced and amplified by what we do. By what yeah. we do and what we offer. And I, I feel like we don't necessarily, we haven't given ourselves the, we haven't given ourselves the permission to think about that because we've been so busy trying to work within a system that isn't necessarily set up for our success. And we think of it, or it seems to me that it comes across also as an all or nothing. Either I'm in the arts or I will leave. The brain drain is seen as a zero-sum binary Either you're an artist or you're an environmental activist. And if you're trying to be a professional artist, that means you are going towards never having to work for the, anyone else that you care about. Or like it's a, mm-hmm. even though that's not any, almost anybody's experience, especially if you include teaching into the other thing people do to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that question of how do we take these skills that, Sometimes we've developed because I also am aware of not a lot of arts have terrible collaborative habits or don't necessarily bring the best approach. But how do we bring those approaches and those questions to other parts of the world and other conversations that we're interested in Mm -hmm. and have that be permeable, right? To have the membrane Mm -hmm. between, oh, I do theater at a level at which I am getting better every day just like a professional and I have some sense of the history that I am taking part into taking part of and a future that I might go towards you know what those mean that you can do that and have a job at an environmental agency Mm -hmm. Uh, you can do that and do something else for money like one is this moment where we have to be really honest with people that they're going to make money in lots of different ways because if you're if the goal of being an artist is whether or not you're making a living at it, then it's going to be even harder to do that. And one of the things I've seen in Canada in theater, especially, is how hard that line, the line between amateur and professional is. Mm-hmm. Um, the way in which that professionalism of Canadian theater built up walls, even between improv and theater, right? Like the 
in Calgary, thinking of that, uh, the ways in which the, you know, the pros and the, oh, that's just for fun and games stuff. And that, yeah, this is a moment where even more than ever, I'm like, oh, that permeability, like that has to become permeable because there's going to be more people with lots of acting experiences who may be working as facilitators. And in some ways that's great. Like mm -hmm. they could be good at it and they might get more an hour than for a, like a dinner theater gig and be participating in, in a cause that they care for. And how do we think about all of those things as being connected is a thing that might be compelling because we both do it fairly mm -hmm. um, extensively and come at that from different spots. Cause it's really been the thing that sh the shift of being focused on the arts and artists to being focused on the culture that we're part of through theater has been the thing that really helped Nakai. It was a brain trick that we did early when I got here that I wouldn't have articulated before quite so well, but went from a mandate of we, we help create professional theater, basically, to mm -hmm. we help create a thriving territory through theater and that and we do that led by professionals um mm -hmm. we, we pay professional wages to to professionals mm -hmm. and that shift meant that when we got to covid we were okay because it wasn't mm -hmm. you do four plays a year our mandate was not it was just oh how do we help like as long as we keep showing up asking the question how do we help we're yeah. doing that job yeah. And we do have a bunch of skills, and some of those skills include being okay, looking foolish, running around with a puppet on your head, right? That's, in this time, it's not nothing for that to be, oh, that's what the theater people are doing right now. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's great. They're mm -hmm. on a hill with trying to turn tents into giant slugs. Okay. That seems fun. And I, I'm going to say, too, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just about our individual choices either. I don't think this is just about how, yeah, I didn't really want to, I didn't really want to go from an executive director job at, an, in, at a nonprofit theater company to another executive director, artistic director job at another nonprofit theater. It's not just about those individual choices. It's also, I think about, it's also about a sort of larger. And so I tried something else. So I did, I went to the other place that I cared about and, Hello. Hello. We lost each other. We lost each other. Yeah. You wanted something else. And so you, but it's not yes. just about those individual or, or the choices to run away to the North. You mean? There you go. <laughs> I, yeah, the, I, it's not just about my individual choices that we make. It's also, I think about a larger sort of systemic attempt, like a systemic support of the concept of what art is, what art and what theater can be to to contri to contribute to society in a, in a different way and how we're able to reach out to to other sectors of society not just as a place to go to enjoy yourself or a place that receives funds or i think that the or part of a sort of culture in an abstract but i i would love to see some of our funding bodies at the, in the different levels of government, 
like actively connecting. And I think some of them may be considering this, but actively connecting us with, with people who are doing, who are doing research, who are doing work in a range of different like social or scientific Mm -hmm. or even economic ways of thinking about the future. I really feel like this is something that needs to be supported. And, and I would love to see, I'd love to see the Canada council reaching out to the, the environment minister, the infrastructure minister, and like actually saying, talking about incorporating art and artists into the conversation about what the future looks like. Hmm. And I, I think that's, that would be really valuable. There's a, an organization, Berta, called Just Power, and they're, uh, I think they focus on renewable energy, and they're, I think they're based in Edmonton, but they, they have, they have a, a program that they have going on right now where they're actually looking at artistic research and how it might inform the way they do their work in, in thinking about renewable energy. And it's just really interesting to me, like that's exactly what I would like to see happen more often because of that, the idea that permeable membrane and, and that there's a way for us to learn from that sector and for that sector to learn from our sector and the individuals, not to mention the individuals involved. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that is... That's when we talked about collaboration previously, I feel like we talked about collaboration between certain artists or certain companies and that kind of thing within our own sphere. I, I'm, I'm, I feel like the next step for us is to collaborate outside of that. And that's another thing that I kind of hope happens as we all are, as we all sit and look around a bit, look around ourselves and look around in our communities, it's okay, who is like, what is interesting to me? And who is interesting to me? And even for that matter, what are the most urgent things happening in our communities? Because we now have to really look at what's happening just around us. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so much potential. There's so much potential in this time where we can't do the business as usual for us to reach out and create new relationships that strengthen the business, <laughs> the activity, the craft, the practice, the contribution in the future. So that's those are some of the things I'm thinking about a lot. Yeah, those are great things to think about. And how do we reach out with a sort of how can we help approach versus yeah. the, hey, can you help us? Yeah. <laughs> like, the arts are screwed. Can you, like, anything in the environment sector to save me? I could write a play about, like, I could do the thing I always do, kind mm-hmm. of about you. But actually, how do we come into these relationships with a bunch of skills that do include putting on a show, mm-hmm. but don't actually also assume putting on a show? Yeah. Right? That, oh, I can make your conference much better with my theater skills and some of my theater friends. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I don't need to put a play representing some historic figure from your fight that I can do that by making sure everybody has a good time. And that when people leave, they go, wow, I've never been to a conference that gave me so much energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, the, we do it through some unexpected ways and we'll probably find out that what people need from us is not quite what we expected, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. 
And that's exciting yeah. and probably yeah. terrifying. But maybe that's a good place to end because I think that is actually like a thing we could begin to make a list of people who are interested in things that we're interested in that are inside and adjacent to theater mm -hmm. makers. Mm -hmm. Theater makers who we know have strong side interests or engagements mm -hmm. into other worlds mm -hmm. and listeners please send us those people also and yeah it was very interesting i did a an online class visit to university of toronto scarborough devising class third year class this week and most of them and i think that's a school that maybe is specific to this but most of them had significant other sort of sociological lines of academic practice. Or I, mm. when I asked them to introduce, when we asked them to introduce themselves on Zoom, like we're saying, oh, I work in the arts and mental health, or I work in the arts and something else. And that was in some ways really exciting. I think UT Scarborough, I look at their classes and I'm like, this is amazing. Like just the demographic of that room and, and that, and that diversity of practice. So, I, cause I, and we said to them that you're in a devising class, you're going to have to devise a life. That's actually what mm. you're learning is, mm. and it's going to be a lot of the same. It's going to be pastiche. It's going to be like unexpected inspiration people who weren't so good for the process and then had to leave uh, like <laughs> these things that you're learning are in fact how we're making our lives and they do require us to go out and talk to other people yeah and yeah that sounds like our... it sounds like a great way forward and I, I do think too there is a shift the other thing that's changed I think or that continues to change is how how different generations are approaching their life yeah and I think that's it took me a little, it took me a while to figure out, to figure out, oh, I didn't, that this thing that I had just, that I cared deeply about and pursued a career in um, could be something that I continue to do while I also contribute in other ways. But I think that there's just something about the way that people are approaching their lives now that are, they, the, and part of it's this, the, the new way that careers are formed. I feel like I'm just at the end. I like I'm not a boomer. I'm not right. Gen X. I'm towards the end of that. That, but and I'm not a millennial. So I'm in that. Yeah, we're young Gen Xers. We're young Gen Xers. Yeah, very young Gen Xers. Oh, you may be a younger Gen Xer than I am. <laughs> but it's it's so the the I still feel I I often feel like I'm trapped in in between two generations. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way that one generation thinks about things and thought about planning, have had to plan their lives or thought about planning their lives or the forces that have had them, have had them organize their lives in certain ways. And a different generation who had a different set of opportunities and ways to organize their lives. And so I do think that the way the world is changing is for more diversity of practice and experience. And that is really exciting. And so I'm curious about how that forms and how the systems around arts and culture shift to support that. Because it's not just about, it's like the, the, the world has been changing in that direction anyway. Now it's just really obvious 
that we have to change it. So, yeah, I think that would be a great place to start. Cool. Where can people find you on the Internet? I am on Twitter. So I'm on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is, is at Vicky Stroich. So nice. pretty straightforward, V-I-C-K-I-S-T-R-O-I-C-H. So I'm on Twitter, and, uh, and people can find me there. And I'm usually tweeting about uh, something happening in the environmental sector or something happening in the arts sector. I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Jacob Zimmer, and I am rarely tweeting. It's not my best social media. I'm also on the Facebook, and yeah, people probably know that. You're on the Facebook less, which is much, or you post less than I do. Yes, no, I've, I've migrated over to Twitter and, and um, Instagram, but my Instagram's pretty much like pictures of flowers and stuff. So if if you really wanted if you really want to check out pictures of flowers and stuff, you can totally check me out on Instagram. Mine <laughs> mine is largely landscapes of the Yukon and, and occasional dogs. Yeah, so that's all true. You can reach us there. This will still go through a small wooden shoe website, so you can email there and find it at smallwoodenshoe.org. And I'm also at Nick High Theater and all of the social medias there are usually just me except we had someone this summer who was great it was so nice to just see social media posts happen and be like hey nothing to do with that and look what i did look what someone else did even better well, no you can actually see what you did because you didn't have to take oh the right yeah it's like oh. you're, you're um, actually able to be in the photograph it's true lovely to talk to you i'm going to stop recording thank you for listening and please pass it on to someone who might be into it our soundtrack as always is the beach by the holy coast <laughs>